0: So the reading this morning is taken from St. Mark's Gospel. In your pew Bibles, you'll find it on page 1002. And if, like me, you're reading from the large print, it's on 1003. John the Baptist prepares the way. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the River Jordan. John wore clothing made of camel's hair, with a leather belt round his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey, and this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, Christine. Please um, do keep your uh, Bibles open at um, Mark's Gospel at uh, page one. 2002. Uh, maybe you're here and you've not had the opportunity to read Mark's gospel all the way through. I'd really encourage you to take this opportunity over the next week um, to do that. It would be well worth you doing so. It's the shortest of the four go- four gospels, and in all likelihood, the very first um, that was written. But before we look at it more, let's take a moment to pray, shall we? Let's bow our heads. Our God, our Father, we thank you for your word. We pray now as we look at it together, we pray that the Holy Spirit be our teacher. We pray that you'd give us ears to hear. And Father, we pray that we'd live it out, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Early church um, tradition tells us that John Mark uh, was the same Mark that we hear about in the book of Acts. Uh, later in the Bible, uh, where he journeys round with, with Paul and Barnabas. He, was one of the, the, he wasn't one of the, the first disciples, um, but he was very close to those who were. And he knew a huge amount about Jesus' life. The early 1st century, uh, century uh, writer Papius tells us that Mark operated as Peter, Peter the Apostle's writer, and recorded many of Peter's memories. So you see, Mark had access to loads of material about Jesus. And so he's thinking, uh, how are we going to choose which pieces to put into this gospel? I mean, when we put together a biography, we, we probably think, well, we'll have the, the early years, uh, a bit of schooling, some of the perhaps difficult uh, Um, teenage years, my first graduation, my first job, etc., all these sort of things. Um, We might put those things. But Mark isn't actually writing a biography. He's writing a message. He's writing a message. And verse 1 gives us that message. He gives us, if you like, the banner headline. Verse 1, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. There's no messing about here, is there, with Mark. He's straight in there with the headline message. And the headline message is that the king is here. The word Messiah here uh, means anointed one. Or in Greek it was translated as the Christ. And was just another way of saying the king. I'm sure... um, Many of you have been to big events, to big stadiums, to big uh, venues, perhaps you've been uh, to some uh, uh, historical um, uh, um, exhibition, and you, when you come to the building, what do you see? You often see, don't you, outside, a kind of a big banner over the place that gives you the headline about what is happening. Well, that's what Mark is doing here. In this first verse, he's flying the banner. This is what the gospel is about. The king is here, and he says that it's good news. It's good news. The word good news is the word gospel. In Greek, evangel, where we get the word evangelist, somebody who, sh- who presents the message of good news. It was not a religious word, um, certainly, in the first century, it was a, a, an ordinary word in a way that uh, was used for making announcements. Uh, perhaps when a, a, a significant event happens, like a, a royal birth. You might be waiting for a, a royal birth at the moment. You know, an announcement is made, um, a bit like when on the news, News 24. You know, where you get the, the, the little banner at the at the bottom where it flashes up breaking news. It's that kind of word, evangel, good news, a big event. This is a big event, and it's good news. And of course, this news isn't for some sort of holy huddle, and elite. It's meant for everyone. The good news of Jesus Christ. There's the banner headline that Mark wants us to see and not miss. And his key question throughout his gospel is, is who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? That could be a question for you here this morning. You're thinking, who is Jesus? I'm not really sure. I have my doubts. Well, let Mark show us. Because as we go through, we'll find this Jesus stills a storm with a word. And the disciples say, who is this man that calms wind and wave? Halfway through um, the, uh, Mark's Gospel, Jesus asks the question of his disciples Who do people say, I am? And then, right at the end, finally, uh, as Jesus is dying on the cross, the centurion says, Surely this man was the Son of God. So there you are. There's the, the banner headline for us to see. The King is here, he is good news the Son of God. But what happens next in our, in our passage? Well, Mark leads us through kind of three scenes, three what I call sort of trailer events. Think about a great event that you go to. You get the banner and then you enter the event, but sometimes you don't go straight in to see the main uh, item, do you? you? You get led through perhaps a few um, extra things that people want you to see and engage with first. And that's what we have here. Mark wants us to understand three things first before we see Jesus at work in his ministry. And they'll all point to this good news that Jesus is the king. So the first one is the king has come to reign. The king has come to reign. It's there in verses 2 to 8. And as we think about those verses, we kind of come to it and go, "Oh, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Isn't, isn't Mark just said it's all about Jesus? So what's this John the Baptist doing? We've, we saw the banner headline when we came in, but now you're talking about this other fellow called John. Verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the path for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. See, what we need to understand is that Jesus isn't appearing, uh, in a sense, out of nowhere, a bit like how Doctor Who appears, you know, sort of out of nowhere in in Doctor Who in his uh, time machine. What we need to understand, there has been a plan. There has been preparation going on for centuries, and the prophets had predicted this, and they tell us that the king is coming, and they tell us that there will also be one final prophet. There's planning and there's preparation. This universe doesn't isn't just spinning out of chance. We think about it in think about it in a moment in terms of our, our world view. What's a world view? A world view is something we all have, whether we're at school or at work. Uh, it's a way of looking at life, a way of viewing things around us, of what it means to be human. In our time, at this time, the worldview is something called secular materialism. Secular materialism. It's the idea that the material world, in other words, all that we just see around us, is all there is. That's all there is. The world turns with no purpose, with no guiding hand, just a big cosmic accident. And of course, most people... um, uh, don't hold that worldview consistently. Because if you think about that worldview just for a moment, um, you'll start to, th- to consider, well, hang on a minute. Well, where does right and wrong come from? And if there is right and wrong, who gets to decide what is right and wrong? Maybe my life ultimately then has no meaning or, or purpose. Am I just a bag of jeans accidentally going nowhere. But the Christian worldview is completely different. If you go right back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1 verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The story of the Bible is that there is meaning and purpose. There is a God, and a God who has created the world, who sustains the world, and everything in it, and has a plan, and and a purpose. And of course, it tells us there that humans rebelled against God. And everything fell apart. Everything became infected. And everything got spoilt and disordered. But God then made a promise because God is a God of love. He will find a way and He will put things right. He calls a people out. They're called Israel. They're a model, a picture of the ultimate salvation to come, predicted by the prophets through the anointed king, the Messiah, the Christ in the line of David. But before he comes, there will be one last prophet, one last herald, one last watchman, declaring the king is here and he will reign with truth and justice. You see, when we rebel against God, when we turn our back on God, what we're doing is we we're, we're taking the crown. We're trying to take the crown off God and put it on our own head so that we can be in control of our own lives. But God wants to set that right because he is the king and he sends his king, Jesus, and this is good news. As we think about that, though, it is good news. But first we also need to realize that it is also terrifying news. Because it tells us that we're living in God's world as if we're in charge, as if we're the king. And of course you can't have two kings, can you? Just as our nation can't have two queens. You can't have two kings. And what if you're not ready for the the real king? Instead, you're just living as if you're in charge. I mean, that's more than a little awkward, isn't it? When you think about it. I mean, imagine in a, in a way that you, you know, you crept into the, the Queen's uh, uh, house and you, you palace and you sat on her throne with her crown on, but then she suddenly appeared. I mean, that's going to be a bit awkward, isn't it? It's actually going to be When we think about God, terrifying. John comes to prepare the way through preaching, it says, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I often think we shouldn't call John, John the Baptist. We should call him John the preacher. He's John the preacher. And he has an an illustration. He has a visual aid called baptism. Baptism. And baptism is saying is you need it clean. You need to be clean. You need a, a wash. Not outwardly, but inwardly, in, our, in us. And so people came from all around to hear John preach about the king who comes. In our culture, it's always struck me how uh, little that we like to talk about sin. Um, And, and of course, when we think about sin, we, we tend to treat it a little bit like, oh, it's just a little bit of naughtiness, isn't it, on the side. It's something perhaps just to be laughed at if we do something wrong. And sometimes we think about it as a sickness, And that's not necessarily wrong, but if you only think about sin as a sickness, you tend to think about uh, it being from outside, a kind of blaming outside factors that have made you ill, as it were. You know, we we might blame our our parents, it was the way that we were brought up, or um, it's our genes that I inherited from somewhere else, or, you know, it's the system or the education that has failed me, or the government... or or whatever, my social standing. But the Bible, you see, doesn't do that. The Bible says we're not just sick, we're actually sinful. We don't just need healing, we, we need to stop. We need to turn around and repent and go in the opposite direction. It's acknowledging that I've been living as if I'm the king. And they need to turn to the real king, King Jesus. People went to John, but John insisted, verse 7, that after me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, because it's about being healed, it's about bearing Healed inside, been washed inside. The king has come to reign, and I suppose that first question is: Is are you ready? Are you ready for the king who comes? So we've gone inside. We've seen the first trailer scene, but now we meet the second trailer scene, and the second trailer scene is that the king has come to rescue. Verse 9, at that same time, Jesus came from Nazareth. Nazareth? Where is Nazareth? Um, I don't know whether you know, but I'm from Royston. Does anybody know where Royston is? Nobody wants to admit that they know where Royston is. (laughs) Royston, you see, is 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 a nowhere place. Um, Royston is uh, uh, its is actually on the Meridian. Um, it's in Hertfordshire. It uh, has a Tesco's, and it has a very good uh, curry takeaway. Um, and I can't think of anything else to say for Royston. And so when I, I meet people, I usually say I'm actually from South Cambridge. Because <laughs> that sounds... Sounds a bit more, you know, I'm from Cambridge. Everybody wants to be from somewhere like that. But Royston, nobody comes from Royston, just as nobody comes from Nazareth. It's a nowhere place. But Jesus the king comes from a humble place. He comes from the countryside. He probably has a regional accent and talks a bit funny not from the place that we expect. He, and Mark tells us that he submits himself to being baptized by John in the Jordan River. This seems really odd and strange to us, doesn't it? We've just been saying that the king is coming, so we think, where's the fanfare? Where's the red carpet? You know, where are all the things that you would go along? Where are the paparazzi in the, in the media storm around it? It's not there. And he's being baptized. We've just been uh, seen that baptism is about recognizing that we're sinful. That we need to be made clean before we can meet God. So why is Jesus therefore being submitting himself to baptism? And that's where we, Mark takes us further on in verse 10. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now, the voice isn't so much there for Jesus. It's not that he's not there for Jesus, but I think it's much more there for John and for the people listening, and therefore for us. The voice is there for us to hear, for everyone. It it echoes um, the prophet Isaiah. If you were to go to Isaiah 42 and verse 1, you would hear this being. So listen to how similar this is. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. Mark, you see again, wants us to see who this is, that this is the promised king. The king who will reign, yes, but the king who's come to rescue. Because he talks about this son being a servant who's going to rescue us by serving us. The baptism is no mistake. The baptism is not an embarrassment add-on that we should just pass over. It's there for us to understand that Jesus has come to rescue us. He's come to to, what he's come to do. Jesus is sinless. But he identifies with us, with you, and with me he identifies with our sinfulness with sinful humanity he will become sin for us who will be the servant who dies in our place on the cross he will sacrifice himself for sin to save us from the penalty of sin you see what this is about it's about the rescue. On the one hand, as a servant, he knows what it is to suffer, doesn't he? And to be in pain, to be hurt, to be lonely, to be rejected, to be flogged and and killed. He knows what it is to be in pain. And so there is real encouragement here for those who are hurting right now because Jesus hurts. He understands, he knows what it is like. But Jesus comes also as the King, the one who reigns, who comes to be our rescuer, to sort out all this decay and death, the one who humbles himself into baptism, a sign of his death, a sign of his resurrection, that there will be new life. So the king comes to rescue. And as we think about the king coming to rescue, that means that we need to ask ourselves, are you rescued? Do you know that you're rescued? And maybe you need to come to the rescuer, to King Jesus today. But finally the king also comes to restore. The king comes to restore. And that's there in those final verses in 12 and 13. And uh, this one final scene as we come into the, uh, into the main event, it's maybe there in the corner. We think, oh, maybe we'll just bypass it because what's it doing here? Um, it looks a bit odd, this little bit. Verse 12. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. It's odd, isn't it? It's a bit of an odd thing. Jesus is surrounded by animals. There's Satan, there's some angels. Mark, of course, hasn't just included this because he had a bit of spare material. You know, when you're writing an essay and you Trying to get up to 2,000 words, and you just cram everything in you can think of because you just want to make the words up. It just, Mark's not doing that. He's put it here for a reason. And before we enter the main event to see Jesus at work, he wants us to see something really important. And so we should pause and see what it is he's saying. And he's saying, This is supernatural. This is supernatural. The emphasis on the Spirit, notice that. it's all been there all the way through the passage in all three trailer scenes. Verse 8, Jesus will give the Spirit. Verse 10, Jesus is given the Spirit. Verse 11, Jesus is led by the Spirit. Spirit, 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 all the way through. It means that God is at work by his Spirit. It is supernatural. And so I think it's important for us to stop and note that we need to realize this is a supernatural world. There isn't just the material world around. There is a supernatural world. There are angels and demons. And this is here to partly kind of jolt us out of our secular materialism, where we think this is all there is that we see around us. It stops as well Jesus becoming just a man only. He's the God-man. He's not just a man. He's some sort of guru to come and give us a kind of good way to live, to kind of pick me up and give me a good piece of advice. No, he's not. He's more than that. He's not just an annex to our life. He's not just like another little app on our phone that we just go to sometimes to, to um, amuse us. No, he's much more than that it reminds us that there's a bigger cosmic battle going on there's a spiritual battle and that king jesus king jesus has come to deal with that as well his mission is you see is much bigger than you think most of us think it's not just about you and me yes it is about you and me and about eternity but it's about actually setting everything right Restoring all things. This is about crushing the serpent, Satan. It is about good and evil. It is about light and dark. It is about order and disorder. Jesus is coming to restore. It's a restoration project. The whole of creation. And of course that's in actually in direct contrast uh, to the scene that we're given right at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 2 where we see Adam and Eve they're given responsibility for stewarding the world and creation they've got animals that surround them Uh, animals are surrounding Adam too just as they're surrounding Jesus here and Adam is naming them Uh, it shows you uh, at the beginning of the Bible, just how much order there is and how everything is just as God designed it. Then Adam and Eve rebelled against God. We said that earlier. That the result was not just relationships between God and human uh, being messed up and broken, but the whole of creation is falling apart. The whole of creation is groaning. Everything is unraveling and spoiling and decaying. Death and decadence enter in. And now we have Jesus. Jesus in the garden. Not in the garden. He's in the wilderness. And he's not with tame animals that he's naming, but he's with wild animals. And the world is under Satan's power. And to undo what Adam did, Jesus had to enter into this world. In fact, he's being thrust into it That's what this verse, at once the Spirit sent him, sounds very, as if it's sort of, oh, right, okay, off I go. The word sent here is much stronger. It's about being thrust into the world. It's about being thrown into the world. It's about being compelled into the world by the Spirit. Thrust into the world to do battle and to win the world back. To restore it. Adam and Eve were tempted and they fell. Sin entered in. Everything is spoiled. Forty days he's in the wilderness. Mirrors the Israelites being in the wilderness for 40 years where they were tempted. Adam and Israel failed. But Jesus will succeed. Jesus is going to restore. He comes to restore. So as we close... Mark gives us these three amazing trailer scenes before he opens the doors on the main events and invites us to come see what Jesus does. Jesus is the king, and he comes to reign, he comes to rescue, and he comes to restore. And that first one, the reign, he first trailer scene is asking, you, asking each of us, are you ready for the coming king? You can't sort yourself out. You can't sort yourself out. Are you ready to repent? Turn to the king who reigns. The second trailer scene of rescue is asking us, has the king rescued you? Have you been rescued? Because you can't rescue yourself. You can't do it on your own. Have you accepted the servant king? The king who died for you on a cross to die in your place and then the third trailer scene, the third trailer of restoration, of being restored, that comes and asks, Are you relying on the King to restore you? Because we're broken and we need restoring. We need change. We need to be transformed. And only King Jesus can transform us, just as he can restore the whole world. He comes and asks, Are you placing your trust in King Jesus who will change you, who will transform you? Because nothing else will. So we come back to the beginning. Mark gives us that banner headline. Mark begins, we need Jesus. That's what he's saying. It's good news. He's the son of God. He's here. This is good news. Let's pray. God our Father, we thank you for what Mark shows us about Jesus. that Jesus, is the re- Jesus reigns, he rescues, and he restores. And we pray that we know this King Jesus in our lives now, that we may trust him forever. For we ask in his name. Amen.